Greetings, and welcome to In the Finest Hour, your 40k competitive podcast featuring tips and strategies you can use in about an hour. I am your good host, Shailen Allen West, and with me today, across the table sitting there menacingly, is Ben Jurek, our evil host. I'm going to steeple my hands and look for our neutral host and realize today is just good and evil. Yeah, sometimes we're just gonna do the the clash of the personalities, and there's no Sean to get in the way when things get heated. Prepare. <laughs> uh, don't worry, all of the truly epic fighting will wind up on the cutting room floor, because we only have an hour to talk, and there's only so much DBZ-style screaming anyone can tolerate in an hour. Yes, I. Uh, it will take me at least two episodes to power up. Alright, um... So I thought I'd kick off this episode with a very, very near and dear thing to my heart. I had my butt kicked by my depression last weekend, so I wanted to do something good for myself. Um, so, wholesome lore ideas. Which is, I mean, it's grim and dark, but even in a grim, dark universe of infinite possibilities, you need to have some semblance of joy. There's plenty of comic relief and other like little good stories around, even in the Black Library books and such, um, about people who had a good time or a funny situation or you know celebrated a great victory. So, my particular one that comes to mind is I always think of Makari, the uh, the lucky grot, um, who recently got a model, mind you. Yeah. Um, his a uh, his little piece of lore is there's actually multiple pieces of it but and they contradict a little bit but his little piece of lore is um he's the he's the banner waver grout that follows gaskell around um and he's known to be incredibly lucky which is why on the tabletop he now has a three up invul that's fantastic and um there are contradicting sources to say that the makari we have now is not the original makari because canonically he's been sat on and killed but I like to think that he is just that lucky, that that is the original Makari that goes all the way back to the uh, second edition models. Nice. Uh, on a more personal note, because Grey Knights are all basically like, well, we can either stop the demons for now, or we die, and everyone else dies with us. In my, my personal lore is that Grey Knights greet each other with hugs. Um, and, and the reason they do this is because fighting demons is hard and scary, even for space marines, and they're all various levels of insane, and just the comfort of hugging someone else is, after coming back from such a harrowing thing, is kind of necessary. So the traditional Grey Knight greeting, in my mind, is a hug. Well, you know, Grandmaster Dread Knights have to give the best hugs. They do. They they give the best hugs. Um, they they can like hug Gilliman for seventeen wounds and send him flying off the battlefield with the greatness of their hugs. Yeah, it's it's a great big hug, even for a Primarch. Oh yeah, no, no, he he needs something that size to hug him. Anything else is less worthy. <laughs> what are we talking about today, Shaylin? What is the we actually have a real episode topic. Um, it's defensive versus offensive play. And we're not talking about defender or attacker. We are talking, nor are we talking about stratagems. We are talking about the literal game strategy of being defensive in, on the table or offensive on the table. Yeah, and while some people want to say the best, you know, defense is a good offense, there there are some clear strategies and whatnot to you know pick out on the table as you're playing this game of do am i going to choose to be a defensive player in this matchup or an offensive player or is my list designed to be one or the other because i mean you can always make the choice no matter what your list design is on how you'd like to play your army and some people particularly just are more comfortable with particular play styles like I have some friends that have been playing 40k for years, and they just—they're just very defensive style players. Like that's their strategy, um, and they've kind of mastered that strategy, and they don't really like to change it up. They're not the type of player that's going to charge across the table and uh, attempt the table you on turn one. They're—they're going to be very reserved and very conservative. Yes, and I want to make it very clear here that the best players in 40k can be defensive and offensive at the same time in their turns. Like, they'll use these strategies at the same time. They'll use them, they might focus more on one than the other on a particular turn. 
But if you want to really up your play, you're going to have to learn how to play defensively and offensively. And you have some shifts in the game where, like, you started it out punching your opponent in the face and, you know, going for a strong alpha strike. It didn't work out, and suddenly you have to shift and flow. And that's part of what makes a good player uh, is that ebb and flow of the game uh, and choosing when to do choose defensive moves versus being offensive because there are sometimes that like there are some units in this game you just can't really interact with um based on your matchup and you gotta suddenly flip your strategy yeah which actually leads us right into what we're going to define as defensive play so defensive play is nominally speaking the goal is to endure and preserve units and hold points or gain points rather than advancing forward and lunging into something and trying to kill the opposing army. Um, Examples of this are like a Death Guard army that just plants itself on an objective and sits there. It's not trying to do anything but survive at that point. It doesn't need to do anything else. Yeah, the the best example that comes to mind in the current meta would be Dark Angels, where they literally they score a million points uh, between secondaries and primaries doing nothing. Like they sit on their half of the table and they do nothing, and their their secondaries and such are tuned exactly for that. So they they have a lot of synergy with the fact that they can just sit with a bunch of terminators and hang out. That's a very defensive style list and defensive tuned army, even in their codex. Yes, um, but there are a handful of things we'd like to clarify about defensive play. Um, a big thing I would like to clarify is defensive play is not necessarily about going slowly. Most people think defensive people don't really move around a lot, and the answer is no. Speed can be really important because a huge part of defensive play is move blocking and not letting your opponent get to you, get to something important. Uh, sacrificial plays are a huge part of defensive strategy because you're basically forcing your opponent by using tempo control to come at you in the correct wave order that you want. Defensive play uh, involves, you want to think of the word protect. You're doing a lot to protect units. You're doing a lot to protect objectives. You're doing a lot to protect what you have on the board and your particular strategy, whether that be through move blocking, whether that be through positioning, um, there's a lot. Of the, I like want to kind of focus on the word protect versus uh, versus destroy. Now, protecting your group of riptides on a castle of Tau stuff is a very defensive play. Those riptides are the are your often are your offensive unit. So that Tau is a pretty good army to describe as far as a the majority of their play how they interact with their opponent with every unit except their you know their main their main gun line they all those guys are doing defensive moves and defensive play while the riptides are attempting to table you yes and a big thing about defensive play is part of your defense can be um shooting off or killing at certain opposing units uh because it's important to acknowledge that like Things that are threatening your unit's longevity on the board are going to counteract any defensive plans you have, so taking those out or neutralizing them in some fashion is critically important. Yeah, and then you also have, you know, particular stratagems and psychic powers that are very much either a defensive or offensive focused thing. Something that gets plus one attack. Obviously, an offensive spell. You can kind of get an idea what your opponent's going to be doing on their strategy if they have that in their uh, as far as a spell they take. If you see stuff that's like buffing invuln saves um, and you know applying like applying minus one to hit, those are all defensive. You know things are working on protecting their units. Yes, um, there are some things that can be a little interestingly defensive. Like for example, if you're if you change the threat of a certain unit, it can become uh, something your opponent doesn't want to engage in, which defends it. Uh, so, for example, if your opponent has an assault army and you cast Hammerhand on a unit, they may not want to go crashing into that unit knowing that unit can fight back extra hard in a way they don't want it to. Yeah, and there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of a lot of really good defensive play. Um, is a denying a lot about what your opponent, how your opponent would like to approach attacking you. So 
the big things to consider here are like zoning out deep strikes, using infiltrators to prevent, you know, particular charges here or there. Well, once again, prevent and protect. So you don't want to get charged by a bunch of death company. Cool. You have, you know, a 12 inch uh, deep strike deny range that makes it so nothing's going to come in on that on that circle. So it's taking that style of unit choice and using them for that style of play is a defensive play. Yeah. Um, and to clarify, elite armies and horde armies do approach defensive play slightly differently. Uh, they have a lot of things in common. Like, for example, we've been talking about tempo control, where you're doing things like move blocking and setting yourself up so you have the appropriate counter punches. So when they sit there like, I don't want to engage that little front gribbly unit because that counter punch is just going to suck. Um because that's still defensive at the end of the day. You're preserving both the Gribbly unit and your important unit by having a whack behind it. The the elite the elite armies also are are able to take way more advantage of uh, of terrain, whether it be obscuring, cover providing, um, minus one you know dense cover with minus one to hit. Elite armies are able to actually get moat their entire unit behind those particular things, uh, whereas hiding thirty boys behind stuff. While doable in some cases is you, some guys are going to get left out and get shot. So yeah. um, the uh, the go- the gold there um, is the fact that the elite armies have the ability to take full advantage of that, and they will. Like shooting into one up terminators is absolute garbage. Uh yeah. It's <laughs> usually hear Sean rant about it sometime. It's adorable. But uh, the other thing you will see with elite armies is partly they're built with stronger stat lines. Uh, Elite armies are more likely to have just general access to invulnerable saves and things like that. They make them just tougher in a way they shouldn't be. A big thing about playing defensive with an elite army is you have to be really on your movement and like charge phase game there. Because you need to be using every inch of that space because movement and move blocking and all that stuff is super critical to that army survivor. Well, survival, because you're often having to do sacrifice games, plays with units you can't really afford to lose. You've got to be really careful with it. And your target priority can't have mistakes. Yeah, and elite armies also have this problem of typically they revolve around... Um, a core group of units that usually have some sort of buff for each other or need to be in range of each other. So they move more as a ball than they do um, like spread across the entire board. So they typically, um, an offensive player will try and control that ball, but that ball is a giant wrecking ball, so you don't really want to come too close to it. So it it, it creates a, a conundrum and a problem to present to your opponent. Yes. Um... Terrain bouncing is definitely a thing I do with my elite armies. Um, And there's a lot of like, okay, where is my opponent going to be? How can I cut them off? Or how can I get myself out of the way of where their guns are going to be so I don't have to get shot needlessly? Things like that. Um, These are... These are how the defensive army, elite armies play defensively. And they often have, surprisingly often have to play defensively because they don't have units to lose. Unlike a horn army, where you can give up bodies all day. In fact, that's kind of half the point, <laughs> is your ability to give up bodies. Tell us more about horde army defensive play. Horde armies, whether you're playing like demons or orcs or, or nids, they, they, the cool thing about them is that as long as you're able, as long as you've got bodies on the board, the majority of them are likely obsec. Um, and it's the type of army where you can outscore your opponent uh, so quickly um, that by the time they table you, it doesn't matter. Um, as far as defense to play with them, like if you have an opponent that, like if I'm playing against an opponent that I can't really engage in melee, um, like my orcs are punching into a two-up save, a lot of it is going to be setting up uh, move blocks with smaller units and just spreading the orc boys across the board, reserving um, reserving it, because like it takes a heck of a lot of bullets to kill orcs. If they ever present a wrap and trap, you take it no matter what, because even while defensive breakout exists, that costs two CP, and people burn through their CP all the time. I've won more than one game already in this edition where I'm still just wrapping and trapping or double wrapping. Uh, my opponent is unable to do a goddamn thing about it. While wrapping and trapping can be used both in defense and offense, um, 
it's definitely uh, it definitely is protecting your unit. So it's it's one of the most defensive plays you can do to protect an entire unit of thirty that is sitting on three objectives at once. So that's like the ace play you can do. Um, with a the other thing about horde armies uh, specifically is they is that you can since you can stand to lose. Um, you can kind of spread across the board quite a bit. You can do, you can do a, a lot of denying of deep strike and denying of your opponent's secondaries, specifically secondaries that involve like deploying scramblers or being in certain parts of the board, etc. Um, so they work really well at denying points. Um, I've had games where I, you know, I was put into it on on the back foot position, um, and. All I did was deny my opponent his secondaries and primaries instead of you know trying to score my own, and I scored very low, but my my opponent also scored way lower. You only need to win by one or two points. You don't need to win by ninety nine. I mean, I still like to score high, so I still place high among the uh, undefeateds and X ones. But uh, it's a win's a win, man. <laughs> yeah. Um. I, I do agree with that. That is technically better, but a, a victory is better than a loss at the end of the day, period. So it doesn't matter how you got there. Um, I will say observing um, horde play is hordes are very good at the defensive game because they're basically like, you have to kill all our bodies to get to the objectives. We don't need to kill you. A lot of times they just come back and usually have things that are protecting them. Like specifically among the orcs, you have stuff that makes them more defensive. Like you have a bubble of inv- of shooting invuln. You have a aura that hits the entire unit of feel no pain. So you have these buffs you're able to use uh, that make you even more survivable. That you can just like kind of huddle around. Um, with the custom stompa list, I've been playing it uh, several GTs now. Um, there's, you know, if I run into an army that I know just wants to run on me in melee, I just, I don't take half the board. I just hang out. I, I melee screen out with 60 plus boys and I hang out. I don't, I don't, I don't move up or anything. I just hang out like, like any other gunline castle. But I also have 60 obsec bodies. I just kind of like move up a little bit toward the middle so I can get on objectives and then. I protect my stuff. I don't. I'm not trying to get them in their their deployment zone. I'm not trying to do a whole lot. Um, I'm doing more at shooting their stuff. That uh, that if they can't depends on how well they can kill the snapper. But like uh, most of the time, I'm putting my shooting into their stuff that's on objectives rather than stuff that can kill me because I'd rather just play the point game. Yeah. I mean, going back, I, I kind of, we're going to rewind a little bit here. Putting things into reserve is a huge, huge important defensive strategy. And it can be used offensively, but it's mostly defensive. Because you can't attack what isn't on the board. It's impossible to engage with it. So you guarantee at least one turn of yours where that thing gets to do its thing. Yeah. That's huge. A lot of times, you, if you math hammer that your your big powerful unit is going to die in turn one, like for your all the people that want there that want to play Mortarian um, and such, like sometimes you have to deep strike them. It seems like a bad idea, but honestly, there are times you have to. Um, oh yeah, and that's kind of what that's kind of what separates some good players and bad players is. Some players get stuck in their I'm going to take the same secondary as use the same strategy over and over and over again. And it's like. Well, if you look at the math hammer here, and you can't hide Morty, it's he's just gonna get shot and die, man. Um, yeah. So you gotta you gotta get use out of that four hundred fifty points, or whatever he costs nowadays. I don't know. And a lot, and that's the big thing about being defense of your defensive play is that you're trying to get as much mileage out of those points as you can, um, while you may not be actually be interacting with your opponent that much. Um, the style of defensive play also like is somewhat on the secondaries and such you choose. If you choose secondaries and such that don't exactly interact with your opponent, but just interact with the board, a la Dark Angels or like engage in all fronts and such, um, those don't interact with your opponent's units at all. You're just hanging out with the board and playing your own mission and playing your own game. Like You don't need to do anything with them. You're still scoring. Yeah. Um, so let's talk a little bit about when we would use defensive play in on the tabletop. Um, one of my personal times I'm using it is if I don't have a lot of tempo, I go defensive until I can find, 
and start chipping back at it to get it back so I can gain the tempo I need to be offensive correctly. Yeah, my my most common strategy when I flipped a defensive is on sudden unexpected game flips. Like the math didn't work out on boys combat. I suddenly am down a squad of boys or I lose my stop on turn one. My game went completely from I'm just going to table you to, oh, um, I need to think about this game a lot more now and be very conservative. Yeah. Um, another thing is, if you notice your opponent has a kind of one of those alpha beta strike lists, you're going to definitely want to be defensive right away because you're going to have to absorb a big punch. And it's better to roll with a punch than just, like, take it in the face stiff. That's a great way to get hurt. Yeah, if, you're, if your opponent takes a bunch of, like, gr- like strategies that all involve, like, killing your stuff heavily... Um, it's a good time to take uh, to be defensive in your deployment and play. Like if your opponent's just like, "Oh, I'm gonna take grind them down," it's like, "Cool, present them nothing to kill on turn one." Boom, you just denied them three points for a turn. Uh, if you do that two turns, um, they're only gonna score nine. So that you can make some secondaries they pick a trap um, after you after they pick and you deploy. Yeah, another thing you can consider is uh, this is something I've learned with Grey Knights is. When I analyze my opponent's list, I'm sitting there, I'm like, I look at my opponent's offense, and I look at my bodies, and I'm like, am I just going to lose the attrition battle if I don't actively do something about it? And the answer is yes, I should probably be noticeably more defensive that battle, because some attrition is expected with Grey Knights, but you don't want to, like, lose your army turn two. That's really bad. Yeah, and, you know, this also goes with, like, your big models. Like, if you if you stare across the table... Um, at some, at, you know, things that can kill your big models that normally you would just like run in somebody's face, you might want to shift your strategy. Basing as much as nice as it is to like kind of depend on a die roll. If you have the option to be defensive with something and not lose lose on a die roll, it's better to do that than just you know put balls to the wall, put all your guys on the line, and and uh, roll a dice. Another time I'm often defensive is if I'm not familiar with my opponent's army, I'll generally be more defensive because I don't know what kind of punches it can do to me, and until I have better sense for how it works and such, it's always good to be cautious on the very first round with an army you're not familiar with. Um, I'm not. It may not be the right tactical decision, but it will definitely it'll give you more options because you have more units later, if that makes sense. Yeah, whenever I play a new army or a new style of army, I'm always waiting for that gotcha moment. I'm always just like, what is going to destroy me here? And I'm like, it, it'll make it so I don't suddenly just like, just advance my dudes up in their face. Like, I'm probably going to be take some very conservative moves. Instead of grabbing two objectives, I'll maybe just grab three. Uh, instead of grabbing three objectives, I might just grab two and hang out. Um, you know, there's that. those are all styles of just like conservative defensive play. Um, while, you know... I would love to force my opponent to have to shoot me off more objectives. Just like doubling down and putting multiple units on two objectives might just be better, um, even though it might not score me uh, You know that 15 primary that turn. Yeah, and also, um, especially if you don't know how something works, Leroy Jenkinsing, your Mortarian down into the middle of a bunch of Grey Knights that are just kind of sitting there. That ends badly for Mortarian, by the way. I don't have to do anything weird to make that end bad for Mortarian. <laughs> Uh, this might happen to someone once. Um, <laughs> he, he he didn't know what he was doing. I said, I don't think that was a good idea. And he says, no, it's going to be great. And then it was a terrible idea. <laughs> yeah. Another time to be defensive is is when the terrain just didn't work out for you. Like, you end up on a deployment, you end up on a board. Um, there's a lot of shooting lanes that aren't, that aren't, that aren't great for you. That's time, that's, that's time to just, like, reserve a bunch of units uh, and just and play a lot tighter game because if you deploy if you deploy the normal way you would deploy or um or like you would normally put units out it might be time to spend some cp and use some strategic reserves hey um ben if you're trying to do one of those deployment flips would this be a good time to be defensive a little bit while you're doing the flip uh, it depends. Um, so when you're trying to flip like a, a long deploy, um, like a, a hot dog deploy into a hamburger deploy, um, if you have the option to be offensive while doing it, um, you definitely can. But, uh, if your, if your play would be better on like a corner on the corners deployment, um, to just ignore the upper left corner and castle on the one, 
and make it a super long deploy for your shooting heavy arming, um, that's the that's a good time to be like, okay, I'm just going to ignore this. You, the thing you're giving up there is you're usually giving up an objective, but you can always swing around to the other if you wanted to. Yeah. Defensive play is about protecting and enduring and maintaining um, maintaining something. Uh, you might be maintaining the points you're getting. You might be just maintaining units for later turns. You might be just... You're just trying to get through a spot. Um, or making your opponent struggle fruitlessly against the spot you've planted your flags. The, the, the point of defensive play I want to point I want to make is that it's mostly about opponent interaction. Um, are you being more reactive or proactive and are you interacting with their units um, and well mostly in the killing of them or are you more uh, playing to just basically being non-interactive with your opponent just playing the mission points playing the board etc um, you know examples of this are just like I said taking the board control secondaries and holding a couple primaries each turn and just literally ignoring the fact that your opponent exists yeah that's like the ultimate defensive way of playing there's of course a spectrum with defensive play sometimes it's like well i'm going to move this unit into a defensive position so i can have it support that objective when the unit currently on there falls uh that's an example of something i do all the time is basically i i layer onions of replacement units on my objectives so um so I have things come back to objectives when appropriate. Um, but, I mean, that's that's defensive play. So it's like you can have part of the army be defensive and a lot of the army be defensive or all of the army be defensive or no one being defensive. It's spectrum. It's not always, it's not always a list. It's, it's, it's often a style of play and you can play the same list defensively while you can also play offensively. And a lot of it comes down to um, how you're choosing to interact with your opponent. Uh, whether you're choosing to try and deny their secondaries or just nab your secondaries um, and how you're cho choosing to do so. Excellent. Uh, well, we've spoken pretty good on defensive play for right now. We are going to take a short break where we'll hear from our sponsors, get ourselves some fancy hydration, and then when we get back, we're going to talk about offensive play. Hey fellow wargamers, how would you feel about using your desire to play this excellent and fun Harry for the forces of good? Please join our host Ben Jurek at the third annual Wargames for Warriors 40k tournament. It is held in Lehigh, Utah, and the entry fee is a $50 donation to either the Fisher House or Extra Life, the Children's Miracle Network. You can find out more on their Facebook page, it will be linked in the episode description. Thank you, and hope to see you there. And we are back, and we're going to talk about stabbing people. Ooh, my favorite thing. I thought you would agree with me there. You you strike me as a man that appreciates a good stab of your opponent's army. Well, I mean, I have we have stabbers and we have power stabbers and we have choppers and we have sluggers. So I mean, yeah, we 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 like to stab things too. I have nemesis everything close combat weapon. Uh, yeah, no, I guess, I guess the the close combat armies get to uh, talk about offensive play. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> So, uh, much like defensive play here, we're going to start talking about what offensive play is, how the two different major army types um, play it, uh, and for hybrid armies, obviously, you're going to take a little bit of both, and then we're going to go back into when we use offensive play. And it's not all the time, I'm sorry, offensive play is not appropriate all the time. But they say the best defense is... Whatever. <laughs> 
Well, we, we did talk about in the defense section that sometimes a little bit of offense to kill the things that are really threatening to you, to help it endure and stay by getting rid of the things that are going to punch it, is a valuable strategy. So we did talk about that. Briefly. Briefly. <laughs> um, so offensive play, it, I, I would describe it as overwhelming your opponent uh, in either melee shooting or some combination thereof in a sp- it, at least for elite armies that's in a concentrated area but just overwhelming your opponent some way where it's you're going so hard at them they can't handle it yeah threat overload is probably the most commonly thing thought of for offensive play um well, it's not the only style of offensive play, as you know, as you can see with like certain particular armies. There, there's always a some sort of uh, either like overwhelming threat component or one very large threat component that acts as a spearhead, um, and that either of those things combine either in its compactness or as a whole um, is usually presenting some some form of if it touches something, it dies. Exactly. And that's a that's a really important thing about offensive play is killing things. Um your your goal here is to my opponent has things on the board that stand in my way, let us delete them. Or let us delete them now before they can come to stand in my way. Uh depending on what you're doing there. Uh an, a huge thing is board control via threat. So offensive play is standing there and watching down all of the important shooting lanes on the table and basically saying, yeah, you want to get close to me with your melee army? I'm going to shoot you off the table before you get here. Yeah, the, 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 thing, the things to consider with offensive play is mostly the setup to benefit your army the best to interact with their army in the best way. Uh, and interact with their army in the best way that, like, rips them apart and makes them unable to score like if someone takes a juicy wall we stand we fight target that you know you can kill you you just set yourself up to nuke it oh yeah because if you can deny your points by killing deny your opponent points by killing something you know you can kill you do it you make set you make these huge like you know these huge plays that go after their things that are that are that are scoring points and at the same time while flipping flipping uh objectives and killing stuff it's it's the more like dramatic form of play but it's also at the same time um your your opponent is in an advantage when it, when they're on defense one thing we um one thing to bring up here is your opponent is going to set up counter charges and counter offensives against you uh it's probably the most strong it's the strongest defensive strategy is that oh you killed that group of scouts guess what was hiding behind a group of scouts a bunch of centurions so yeah. While while being offensive is a lot of fun, you're killing a lot of stuff, you still have to be point effective with what you're killing. Well, and that's just it. So a huge amount of thing is uh, with offensive is about taking advantage of your opponent's mistakes um, is kind of the best way I describe offensive play. Your opponent made a mistake and left an opening in their army's defenses. You can crack their thing open. Yeah. Because you've got the delete unit, and you've got an opportunity to get into that spot. Yeah, finding finding that that weak point in their armor with your spearhead um, is always a an easy way to win, and how to put away a game early. I mean, if someone gives me an easy to jump target that they just either forgot the spell exists or don't have the ability to stop it, um, I'll take it, and then I'm going to leave my opponent on their entire back foot the rest of the game if they don't have an easy way to deal with thirty boys in their deployment already in melee with them so that's a really clear example of an of an alpha strike charge and an early game offensive move is doing exactly that where a defensive move with the same way would be like to jump the boys in the middle of the board and hang on an objective and do nothing like there that's there's that's the style of making that choice and if someone presents a situation where i can do that i'm probably going to take it i'm that type of player yeah um another thing to also note about offensive play is it's a huge thing about tempo because it's like you want to set it up so that you might say oh well i'm going to present this juicy unit of chaff my opponent's going to get a little excited decide to go on the offensive thinking i'm looking weak 
they charge their chaff into my chaff. My chaff eats their chaff. Now my big stuff goes and eats their big stuff before it can whack me. I won the fight. Yeah. The setting up your offensive plays um, isn't always clear. Sometimes you have to have your uh, your pawns essentially go out before your queen can act. Um, while the while this can be used both defensively and offensively, um, we're talking like big midboard plays here. Uh, I particularly love setting something up so someone will move their shooting unit out from behind obscuring terrain, so that I can then in return shoot it, and then they won't, that point exchange is profitable for my end. So while your opponent was very happy with what they did, uh, they soon realized that they fell into a trap. So yes. just be, you have to be very careful with some, with some things that look like where you want to put your spearhead um, or apply your shooting lanes and realize that that may have not been a great choice. Yes. Another thing to note here uh, very specifically is point changes can have certain meanings. Like, for example, if my opponent has an an- one anti-dread knight gun in their entire army, and I have an opportunity to wipe that thing off the table so my Dread Knights can run rampant and have to be shot with bolters for the rest of the game, you bet your butt I will try to remove that thing from the table. Because it doesn't matter how many points that object is, the object's comparative points value to me is super high. Because it's the one thing that threatens me. And the same thing goes with like if you're doing second with secondaries, like if it's a while we stand, we fight target, or if you if you have a chance to kill a horde unit versus a thing, you have thin the ranks, or whatever the new one is. Um, there's a lot of a there's a lot of choices you can make, uh, and I love interacting with my opponent. I love if my opponent raised the banners, I want to be there. I want to be touching them. I want to be fighting them. Screw the raise the banners. If my opponent um, to if my opponent is uh, attempting to you know have domination, I'm always I'm always going to be attacking my opponent's strategy, and that is a very offensive thing to do. Um, versus you know there's a, there's a defensive board control where you kind of like go and sit with heavy units and hide behind terrain and you know hold three three plus objectives. There's an offensive board terrain of just like going out and trying to flip the stuff that your opponents are on, uh, shoot them off, fight them off, etc. And you you can cause some some real havoc, but you're also at the same time might you have to be careful of your opponent's defensive strategies, where they could easily be like, oh, you charged over here, you killed what hundred stuff, hundred points and stuff. I'm just gonna then you know that's the only thing I can see and shoot. I'm gonna shoot that, and you didn't prevent enough force. Um, which is a point I want to make is you need to be you need to have waves of forces or enough overwhelming force from multiple ends. Otherwise, your opponent can just kind of like pick one thing off at a time as you present it to them. Yes, uh, as we said, overwhelming attacks uh, for elite armies. Overwhelming tracks are often in very concentrated areas, as Ben was talking about the wrecking ball. The Wrecking Ball doesn't always take up a giant portion of the board, but when it hits you, it hits you and it is uncompromising. Um, so, yeah, it's like, no, we're going to go slam into your line and you won't have anything left by the time I'm done with it. Yeah, the, the Eldari armies are a good example of an army that uh, can play either offensively or defensively well and when they play offensively um they're typically all over the board very self-sufficient units uh and they're very efficient point for point trading and you can kind of hit your opponent on multiple ends um and there are things like shining spear blocks and such like that that they're just once again absolute spearheads and if they if they get into particular positions or you know they can get behind lines and assassinate characters and stuff like that they're they are very offensive and very good units Yes. Uh, A big thing about offensive play is also scoring denial. You're just like, no, I'm going to smack you, and I'm going to smack you off everything. I'm going to get in your teeth and in your way, and you won't be able to score any points because I am all on top of you and running you over. Yeah, As a strategy in general, if you're in your opponent's deployment doing things... They have to act to you and can't act to the mission. Um, if your opponent took like raise the banners and a bunch of like board controly stuff, and you're suddenly like in their deployment, they either need to think about scoring those secondaries in the first place or answer you. Um, sometimes they're able to do it by like boot blocking you and such, but at the same time, you 
presenting that question is a very offensive move. Yeah. So now we're going to go into the how elites and hordes do this super good. Um, Why don't we start with hordes? What do you have to say about hordes being aggressive? Hordes have the ability to completely overwhelm a ton of objectives at once. Um, And your opponent uh, has a very low likelihood of being able to take them immediately or at least flip them back. Um, With with horde army offensives, um, you normally are going to be going offensive into an army that is not that doesn't have high defensive profiles in fact most horde armies don't do well against like charging into stuff with they're very durable and have you know really good saves mm-hmm. and a bunch of wounds uh but in armies that they do they can absolutely table opponent within a turn or two um the what horde horde armies like to do is with the power of some of a, of a decent amount of shooting and their million obsec bodies they're usually able to uh do what i call fight me mid bro where they're going to um, have their shooting, have vision, not exactly like try to get vision of their of their opponent's deployment, uh, but more vision of the middle middle of the board and part and one particular lane that leads the back to the opponent's deployment, and you're just gonna like ram units down that end uh, and hold all those those positions forever. Um, you think the thing to be aware of is you don't while playing offensively is like the epitome of like tabling your opponent that isn't always the moat that isn't always the best offensive choice sometimes it's uh sometimes it's just like clearing out in like the weak section of your of your opponent's board uh and putting them on the back foot putting them in a bad position like anytime you can push an opponent into the corner which is what hordes do really well um is a is a good position to be in because then they spend multiple turns just trying to get out of the corner and even if they kill all your stuff by the time they get out of the corner, you've already won the game. Yeah. Um, elite armies uh, usually have big, scary units to be threatening with, like Imperial Knights or their evil counterparts um, are examples of that. So what they have, the elite armies also co- usually come with highly specialized units that are very, very good solutions for the problems your opponent's army proposes. It's like, ah, oh, man. You brought a a bunch of guys with no armor saves in T4. Meet Castilian Crow. He will murder an entire po- unit of 30 orc boys by himself. Um, I, I don't actually advise taking that guy. He's kind of crappy for literally anything else. But <laughs> he is good at that, at least. <laughs> a huge thing about offensive armies is they often have either some combination of speed and weapon range to try to get in the first strike. Um, They basically want to maintain tempo control and be able to take out things that can threaten their ways of overwhelming. Um, So that's kind of what they're doing. And they're not necessarily focused on scoring. They're focused on getting rid of the things that would prevent them from just running rampant over the table and just owning the whole game. Yeah, the when I think of a of an offensive elite army, I think of really skewed lists. Yeah, because um, a lot of times, a lot of times, elite armies are very are pretty balanced. But like your offensive elite army list, the ones like Don Husen Dreadnought lists and stuff like that, um, they're they do one thing and one thing only. Really, is they they might sit on one or two objectives, but the rest of what they do is they just kill stuff. Yeah, anything they shoot, they're gonna die. Like. They they really don't care about what they're well once again they're being uninteractive they really don't care about what their opponent is doing um, for mission wise they're just going to kill everything uh, and that's a, that is a, a completely good strategy like it, it obviously works um, and you can skew a list to do just that yes um, another thing I've observed with um, elite play for offensive play is. They're leaning pretty heavily into getting that extra charge and fight phase movement. Um, because if you don't have a lot of units, you can make slower units go pretty fast if you can win fights. Um, which these units are often very capable of doing. So, like, I had Repentia advance because you could advance and then charge them. So they did that little thing, charged in 11 inches, beat up a bunch of Tau consolidated over onto an objective and it was just like they went a good 
had 20-something inches that turn alone. Yeah, the the amount of havoc you can wreak on an opponent with, with just charge and fight phase movement, especially um, if they're, especially if you can just like force them in a corner and force a bunch of fullbacks and no shooting and a bunch of stuff, it 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 really does like completely throw a wrench in their game plan. You can you can take your opponent's strategy and as we've talked about in prior um, episodes, make them play your game rather than have them play their game, um, and that really is a lot of what offensive play is: is having your opponent have to play your game. Yes. Um, so let's talk very briefly here at the end of the episode of when do you want to use offensive play? Because it's a tool, like defensive play. It's not appropriate in all locations. Um, my personal thing is if you've got tempo control, you know, you can go offensive. Yeah, if you if you have, uh, if you have like, uh, if you have a bunch of really fast, really aggressive units that their job isn't exactly to sit there and their stat line is more just to kill things, you should probably be playing them offensively. Um, unless you have a reason not to, like, let them do their job. Some things are straight up just statted to be exactly that. Um, you know, you're not going to see, like, a melee knight hanging out doing nothing like it, it's going to be trying to do its thing uh in most cases so that's exactly what that unit is designed for so please use your your hammer to be a hammer <laughs> yes um, do not do, do not use your hammer to be a scissors now um one one, one of my favorite things when i choose want to choose to be offensive is when i look at what my opponent's secondaries are and he's like well i'm gonna take while we stand we fight and i'm gonna take raise the banners and i'm gonna take engage in all fronts and i'm just like cool okay those are and i look i look for like the little tiny unit that's going to speed across the board i'm like okay that guy's gonna be their engage unit i'm gonna shoot that all right oh i can see a while we stand we fight target how can i get that if you know if i can conclude that those that i can actually kill those things or deny banners oh boy i'm gonna get i'm gonna get up in their face and i'm gonna deny them all their secondaries so i i that's a particularly play style that i love to play in this edition Yes. Uh, another thing to note is, uh, citing back to our um, attacker slash defender um, example we talked about in an episode of quite a while back, um, if your opponent is the attacker versus your offensive strategy, you should obviously be defending with your offensive strategy. <laughs> But uh, the point is, what we're saying with offensive play is you don't want to just go charging into your opponent blindly. You want to be charging into it in an exchange that's going to favor you one way or another. Um, you want to be intentional about it. Uh, you want you can use offensive play to be very proactive and kill off things that can be problematic to you. Um, or just basically rut their army and send it flying across the table. It's like, yeah, this this is what this is for. And armies are usually built to favor this, um, but you can make defensive armies do things like that because, like, for example, zombies with their mortal wounds thing are surprisingly destructive. Yeah, and once again, I mentioned at the end of the defensive portion that a lot of that is being really uninteractive with your opponent uh, and kind of picking and choosing your moves uh, with, the exception, with the exception of, like, you know, a counter charge here or there. The, the exact opposite is with the offensive the offensive side of things you want to be interacting with your opponent as much as possible you want to be screwing up their game plan you want to be going on the objectives that they want you want to be doing all the things um to completely mess with your opponent yeah and the reality is in any game um i will have offensively leaned turns and defensively leaned turns i generally build my army to be capable of both styles of play um, there's a reason I try not to bring Strike Squad Barbies and my Grey Knights is because Terminators are more defensible, and I prefer having their capability of defense and offense locked in. Yeah, I would say my current GT record, um, I play at least a third of my games in a very defensive manner, uh, versus my other two thirds. I'm usually playing relatively offensive, but the the custom Stampa is is an offensive hammer, um, so that's why there's that skew. Yeah. Um, so, 
If you have thought that we have said something really valuable to you, or you have questions because uh, somehow we didn't quite communicate this one thing you want to argue with us on the internet way of arguing with about, you can reach us at Facebook and uh, email us at Gmail, both in the finest hour. Uh, you can also sign up for our Patreon for $5 a month. You can get access to our super special Discord server and Facebook group, where we post memes, talk random stuff, and you can hear all about the status of editing of episodes and how much I may or may not be hating my computer that particular day. Also, find out where Sean went. Ooh, where did he go? Uh, it's a, uh that's classified. You don't have the inquisitional... Classified. Uh, thing to know that, unless you're part of the Patreon. Oh, <laughs> uh, let me go check. Now, if you enjoy the awesome... If you enjoy the awesome art and, uh, and banners that we have, you can think that... You can have Ryland Woodrow to thank for that. Uh, and they're amazing art. You can find them on DeviantArt, Facebook, and Instagram. But if art... If, uh, Visual art isn't quite your thing, and you enjoyed the sounds of this show. You can find Dankmuse's work on SoundCloud, YouTube, and Spotify. Next week, hopefully, Sean. Not a robot? Hopefully, we'll have Sean back. Ooh, he's all right. I, I kind of liked. I kind of liked going back and forth. <laughs> uh, nothing bad has happened to Sean. He just had a schedule conflict. It's it's. He's not. He's not in my closet. I promise. He's not in mine either. So, uh, this has been in the finest hour with Shaylin Allen West. Ben Drink. Thanks for listening. <laughs>